0: Hey, everyone. The Revoice Conference is coming up very quickly, October 6th through the 8th. On the night of October 6th, we will be doing a live recording of our season finale, the whole Life on Side B co-host team, right after our very own Elizabeth speaks at the opening session of Revoice. We are super excited. It's going to be a great time. If you are going to Revoice, Please come and join us after the main session at night, um, and we will have a good old time finishing out this season. Also, if you're going to be at Revoice, we are going to have some uh, special merch that we will have for sale that will only be available at Revoice. So it's going to be a really great time. Come join us. We can't wait to see you.
1: Hey, everyone. This is Becca. I want to remind you that Life on Side B is a ministry of Posture Shift, a missiological ministry equipping church leaders and parents on LGBT plus inclusion and care. You can learn more about their awesome work at postureshift.com. Also we want to thank all of our patrons who keep the podcast going and growing through their continued giving. If you love this podcast, we would love for you to consider becoming a patron at patreon.com/life side B. Now on to the episode.
0: Okay, um, Hello, hello everybody, and welcome to another episode of Life on Side B. This is Henry, and Grant is co-hosting this episode Hello, with me. hello. How are you?
1: I'm good. It's the beginning of the school year, so I'm already reading so much and taking classes, and I love school, so I'm in a very good mood. How about you?
0: Okay, back to the books, reading books and people. I love that for you. Yes, um, yes. <laughs> I am well. I am uh, currently entering a busy season of work but I had some downtime this afternoon so I was deep cleaning my house and uh, now I stopped to do this yes yeah. <laughs> I'm very excited for this episode um uh listeners we have our friend Gabriel here with us today to talk about obviously faith and sexuality and then just another topic that we don't often get to talk about in the side b community or just even rather like with this generation of queer people we don't talk about the situation topic as much, so the conversation topic today is HIV, and living with HIV, and so Gabriel, thank you so much for coming on to speak with us, and welcome.
2: Thank you for having
0: me. Yes, if we want to just dive right in, could you tell us just a little bit about your story, um, just with faith and sexuality, and what that journey has looked like for you, Um, and obviously tell us how you identify
2: um, I identify as, uh, gay, non-binary male, uh, he, they pronouns. Um, okay, where to start? Um, <laughs> it all started about 4.6 billion years ago when they, no. <laughs> um, I mean, it should yeah. gotta try it girl, it's gonna be a long one. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, there's nothing I love more than the sound of my own voice. Um, no, uh. I grew up in an evangelical household. Uh, my dad uh, has been a lapsed Catholic since before uh, he and my mother met, I think. Um, but uh, my mother uh, became a uh, an evangelical Presbyterian a little while after she married my father. Um, and so she raised me and my sisters uh, in that tradition, the PCA, um, with which ah. some of you... Uh, may be familiar. May the Lord yeah. bless and keep the peace. Yes. <laughs> anyway. Um, but um, but yeah, uh, that was the denomination I grew up in. It was the denomination that I learned to uh, love Jesus and the Bible in. Um, and it was the denomination that at 13 years old, I realized I was gay in. Mm. Um, Say. So, uh <laughs> One yeah. of those stories that it was uh, like as unfunny as possible at the time but uh, like, uh-huh. you know, uh-huh. tragedy plus has absolutely uh, given me some uh, some what do you call it um I had not really articulated to myself uh, like what it was that I well, pretty much literally wanted to see um mm-hmm. until I was about 13. I snuck down th- in the middle of the night and uh, found a uh, an internet account that didn't have parental controls on it, um, and fucked up porn, um, and, mm-hmm. and that was how I figured out that I was gay. Um, mm-hmm. and, and then after a couple of hours, I snuck back up into my bed and. Uh, I, like, I laid awake, praying and crying, and being like, holy shit, my life is on a completely different trajectory from anything I ever thought it was going to be. Yeah. Um, and so I had had about one partly sleepless night's worth of time to process before I got to talk to my mother about my sexuality. Because one I right didn't know wh- wow. I didn't know what a browsing history was. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! That was one of the yep. first things I learned
0: about the internet.
2: <laughs> it was a rough morning. Oh no. yeah. Um. So yeah. Um. It wasn't long after that, like a uh, few months, I think. Um, that I eventually wound up getting enrolled in XK counseling. Um, it was not as bad as it could have been. Like, it wasn't some horrible camp or anything, uh, like, anything that creepy. Um, but, uh, it was pretty bad. Um, mm-hmm. Among other things, um, and uh, partly just so that we don't have to have a ton of trigger warnings, I won't go into a ton of detail about this, um, but I uh, did experience abuse from uh, an older man when I was still a teenager. Um, Mm. Among other things, the uh, ex-gay counselor who was counseling me, um, when he found out that I had not told him about this, yelled at me about it. Oh. Yeah. Um I had a distorted view of God for being afraid to talk about it. It was special. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um so around the time when I was maybe nineteen, I had sort of settled into, um, no, you know what, I'm just kinda still gay and that seems like it's just gonna be a thing. I had only mm-hmm. I had never been completely sold on the ex-gay narrative. Um, mm-hmm. I was willing to accept it sort of provisionally, like, okay, the the adults in the room seem to find this persuasive. I have questions, but I'll go with it for the present and maybe I'll understand later. And, and no. <laughs> it yeah. turns out it was just a bad idea. Uh-huh. <laughs> Which would be less annoying if we had not already known that it was a bad idea from the foregoing, you know, two and a half decades. But uh <laughs>
1: For sure. Yes. It's kind of embarrassing at that point. Yeah, this is yeah. still a bad idea, everybody. Love that. <laughs> Love that. Um nothing
2: good will come from it. But um so yeah, uh around that same time is when I was uh starting to think really seriously about Catholicism. Um because I mean uh, quite apart from all of the uh, the art, the history, the literature, uh, the mysticism, um, I mean, there is a point at which, you know, keeping a gay man away from all of the incense and lace, you're going to need a point. Yes, of- um,
1: the resonance. Yes, yes.
2: And in fact, and in fact today I am a member of the only uh subgroup in the Catholic Church that is gayer than the uh traditional Latin Mass fandom, which is the and or- That's the Ordinariate. Yes. Mm. <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs>
2: that's true. Um, yeah. So yeah, uh when I was in college, um I finally reached the point where um like I had studied the Theology, the history, all of that, and uh, the Catholic Church seemed like, it seemed like the best representation of what Christ seemed to have set up in the first century, Hmm. Um, and so I took the plunge. Uh, That was... 14 years ago and changed now, uh, Easter of 2008. Um, And uh, I thought for a while about uh, the priesthood or the religious life. Um, Eventually, partly with the help of a uh, very gifted spiritual director, uh, I determined that those things were not for me. Um, And Mm -hmm. I am now pretty glad that I made that determination because... um, Well, I love Mama Church, but let's be honest, the last thing she needs right now is another priest who can't keep it (laughs) in her hand. Oh my god, this episode.
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um,
2: So uh, that's uh, kind of where I find myself Um, (laughs) faith-wise. I had kind of a weird journey as far as my view of the church as a human institution. Um, Growing up Reformed, I always had a, uh, took a dim view of the uh, human institution of the church, Um, because, like, as much as uh, Reformed believers consider participation in the church important and, indeed, obligatory, uh, they're also very much, you know, human beings suck. The church will Mm -hmm. suck, most Mm -hmm. of the time, and in most of the ways. (laughs) <laughs> um, and so I came into the church uh, with, uh, you know, a, a belief in uh, uh, God's su- strictly supernatural guidance of her teaching office, but a lot of skepticism about, uh, like, the actual conduct of her ministers. Um, I then had a, a nice few years of getting lulled into a false sense of security because what kind of insane institution would? you know, have the whole abuse scandal that we've had for the last 20 years. We've, we hit the 20th anniversary this year. What a lovely grace now. Um, mm-hmm. But like, uh, you know, what institution would do that and then not learn from it? That would be crazy. Wow. Okay. So I, I did kind of uh, drink the Kool-Aid a little bit in that respect. Um, and then... Uh, yeah, uh 2016, 2017, and finally twenty eighteen. Um, those were uh, those were some pretty rough years. Um, and basically yeah. i now wound up back at the uh, back at the attitude to the institutional church that I uh, that I entered the Catholic faith with. Like yeah. Yeah. like you're infallible when you need to be sure. Literally every other <laughs> yeah. thing that can and will go wrong. <laughs> Yeah, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, right. Uh, I guess that is the um, I guess that is the that part. Um,
1: yeah, that's the gist.
2: Um, am I leaving anything
0: out? No, I think that was it. Yeah, kind of set us up for the next question.
2: (laughs) We. We would like
1: to hear a little bit more specifically about um, your journey when it comes to um, HIV. Um, I know um, that's been a part of your experience. Um, So how does that fit into what you've shared with us already?
0: Mm -hmm. Um, Before you start that, I want to say thank you for even having this conversation. It is a gift you would not want to step into this. And so I have a lot of respect and a lot of care just for what you're about to talk about. So just thank you for that.
1: Yeah, it truly is
0: a huge, huge
1: gift. So we're just, we're so thankful. I didn't mean to rush in. I just, you know, I'm interested to hear.
0: (laughs) Tell me Uh, more. Yes, me too. Girl, me and you both. All right. Uh, Well then,
2: Uh, I was diagnosed in the summer of, 2020. Um, so, uh, you know, uh, I feel like I was, you know, leaning into the theme of the year, but like giving it a little gay twist.
1: Uh-huh. Um, sure. Uh-huh. Okay? <laughs> if
2: if, uh, if it's determined later on that that joke is quite simply too tasteless, do feel free to cut it out.
1: <laughs> <laughs> We're okay with tasteless. I mean, Henry's a, a co-host. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, shop's fired.
0: Okay, okay, just kidding, okay. just kidding,
1: just, kidding, just kidding. Oh,
0: Anyway, wow.
1: okay. anyway, sorry.
0: Well, just I mean, know that I'm seeing October and November, so I have a lot of true. chance to that's retaliate. True. So,
1: yes. Anyway, I, mean, I um, feel like 2020. The
0: fundamental principle
2: of all camp is tastelessness, but at the same time, like, <laughs> uh, like I'm the kind of person who's like, uh, who like feels that. Yes, Milo Yiannopoulos should have been fired, but the joke that they actually fired him over was fucking funny, and sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I digress. Um, But, uh, so yeah, I was uh, diagnosed in the summer of 2020. Um, It was, I won't say the culmination, but uh, I guess a milestone in uh, something that has kind of uh, been a feature of my side B life um, which is uh, I am not great at being side B <laughs> um, mm-hmm. I feel like uh, I feel like it's something that doesn't necessarily get talked about in side B spaces a lot and there can be a lot of good reasons for that um, one sure. of them being that like, it's so easy from the outside to, you know, only see the negatives of uh, celibacy and think of it as this uh, uh, lonely, mm-hmm. burdensome thing. Um, and so naturally, you know, you get people, uh, people like you, Grant, people like Bridget, um, who find, you know, immense fulfillment in it um, and want to share that. Um, and that's great. And
0: I love I how you didn't have... list me in that. <laughs> 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 Did not list me, okay? Because there's not a lot of fulfillment. So I'll be honest about that
2: one. <laughs> but um, but yeah, um, uh, like you know, obviously for I would say probably most gay people, like struggling with being chased is not really what their life is about. Um, mm-hmm. for me, it kind of has been. Which, you know, it's not necessarily that that's a uh, sound instinct on my part either, but, like, it's it has, in fact, taken up a lot of territory in my mind. Um, And I have not been a good boy. Um, So because a lot of our time tends to get spent on, you know, uh, the positives, I feel like at least some of us, certainly me, um, kind of feel awkward about sharing the, you know, I guess I want to say sharing the stereotype that people expect about our lives. Mm,
1: um, yeah.
2: Like, you know, the assumptions that a lot of people make, and uh, like the reasons that they think that this is going to be, you know, lonely and burdensome. Sometimes people think that for some kind of shallow reasons and for some reasons that are, uh, like, honestly, yeah, kind of obsessed with sex, or at least unduly Mm -hmm. preoccupied.
0: Yeah.
2: But at the same time, you know, some people feel that way. Um, For sure. And I think both for... Those reasons, you know, those reasons of feeling like we need to maintain the image of the group, but also because, you know, it's kind of uncomfortable to admit, you know, I have these convictions and my life does not line up with what I think it should line up with. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that's, uh, that's not fun to admit. Um, in yeah. fact, depending on your context, it can be pretty scary to admit. Um, yeah, I feel like I I can't really speak to uh, uh, churches in uh, other uh, other cultures, but I feel like uh, the American church in most denominations is kind of particularly bad about that. That there is uh, like I think the way I'd put it is uh, there's a hostility to bad Catholics in the American church that historically has not really been a thing. <laughs> um, yeah. And, like, I take bad Catholics as an example, but, like, you've, you can find the same thing in other sure. traditions, although, you know, Rome is more famous for it. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but, it, you know, like, you see it constantly from sort of self-appointed Catholic conservatives that, like, oh, well, if so-and-so isn't going to live the teaching of the church or doesn't believe this or that or the other thing, why don't they just leave? Or they're Catholic in name only or whatever. Um, well, like, there is a uh, a lot of pressure to... <laughs> at least pretend that you have it together and that you're telling yeah. the truth um and i really just don't think that that's helpful in fact i think it's destructive spiritually um yeah. because like all spiritual progress depends on telling the truth uh, like if you <laughs> mm. won't face
0: If you won't face the actual facts. Please say that back again. Please just say that again. Because I got somebody in my life who needs to hear that. Myself, too. But just
2: if you can't or won't face the actual facts of your life, you cannot progress. It is not possible because you are not living in reality in that case.
0: I'm writing that down, baby, up in my notes. <laughs> good yeah um so
1: yeah
2: um
1: yeah i I do think um like there's a maybe a unique pressure for side b folks um to like present ourselves as spiritual exemplars mm-hmm. like Sort of like sexless superheroes of the faith, and so which and and that's nah <laughs> and yeah and and that's because like, I mean, there's there's, I think a, a lot of people assume so much about us, and there's like this desire to defend ourselves by like mm-hmm. by like saying, actually, we're not the worst; we're the best. Yes. And <laughs> which is neither of them are true. So, no. um, yeah, I understand that that pressure to like to want to to present a curated image. Yes. So
0: which then also even adds to the LGBT uh, LGBTQ conversation in terms of where the good gays versus the bad gaze, Like, let's say, like
2: yeah, uh, and nothing. It's like, oh well, nothing <laughs> drives yeah. me up the wall like the way people try to. Uh, like, I, I refer to it as mascotting, the way people will pick up uh sometimes side B people, I think more often ex-gay people or uh, mm-hmm. people sort mm-hmm. of that lie between ex-gay and side B um uh, the way that they will uh, like, uh, they turn us into mascots, they put us on a pedestal and, uh, like, you, you know that can eventually get pretty scary if you're like Uh, You know, am I allowed to have standard issue human faults, or is that to (sighs) get me thrown out?
1: Yeah, it's it's uncomfortable. Culture
2: war, and it sucks.
1: Yeah, it's uncomfortable to be to like to find yourself appearing as like a brick in someone the wall of someone's theology, like. Come um, on. I, I can believe this because this person does
0: this well.
1: Come on. And it's like, okay. Oh, but, but what if I don't? What if what if I don't do it well?
0: I talk about that all the time. Okay, girls, I'm going to share. Like, um, this summer, like, I kissed a guy and, um, Katy Perry. But anyways, so I kissed a guy and I did like it, but, um... It was like, so obviously, like, I let people know in my life who, like, hold me accountable and stuff like that. Like, it wasn't planned. It just kind of happened, kind of thing. But, like, I was like, oh, my gosh. Now they're going to think I'm less of a believer. As if straight people don't do crazy, like, am I not allowed to stumble? Or like Grant said, like, I don't want to be a brick. Oh, well, if Henry did that, then, like, you know what? Your faith should not be shaken just because I did something or not. That's why whenever people were running into their fainting couches years ago when two of our friends got married and um, I was like your faith should not be dependent on whether Anthony and uh, Kyle are side B or anything anymore but I mean people were running through their faith accounts and I was like that kind of pressure is not healthy for us as believers to but, use two um, random
1: names that
0: good, <laughs> no good, well, they would not care okay? you know Anthony Trump would not care one bit um <laughs> That actually touches okay. on. Oh, sorry. No, you go. Yeah, no, great. Well, that, yeah. That Josh, you can do whatever you want me. with the names.
2: That actually touches on uh, one of my other huge frustrations with the whole mascoting thing is. Let's I, go. Is that I hate the way so many people will use Side B, especially, uh, as a pretext to dump on Side A people. Uh, like, yes. obviously. I came to the conclusion that side A theology isn't correct. If I hadn't, I would be side A. But, uh, like, the fact that I've come to X conclusion about theology does not mean that you get to act like someone else's convictions aren't sincere. That is not okay. You don't get to make that kind of decision about someone else's theology. And you certainly don't get to use it to govern their conscience. Mm. as far as i can see the the reason that people use side b like that is just in order to you know crowbar us away from the rest of the gay community and divide it and uh, like no Mm -hmm. you're Mm -hmm. not gonna you're not gonna use me like that Uh, like uh, with hiv especially but also with stuff like being able to walk down the street, it is absolutely the LGBT community that has made 99% of the improvements in what my life is today over Mm -hmm. what it would have been in 1972. Mm -hmm.
1: Mm -hmm. There
2: are a lot of things that I love the church for and I'm grateful to the church for. She has done basically nothing. To improve the actual day-to-day lives of queer people since Stonewall.
0: And that's that on Mm -hmm.
2: that. Yeah, uh, like, (laughs) I'm absolutely not ever going to renounce my debt to the rest of the gay community or throw them under the bus. Isn't that
0: crazy, Gabriel? Sometimes I think about that and where when people are like, why do you identify as gay or why do you even like don't have an issue with pride as a believer or something like that? I'm like, the very fact that you can say that statement or ask that question is due to the history of what the gay community has gone through and been through. Like we would not be able to be decide be so comfortably if it hadn't even been for the way that secular uh, gay community, queer community <laughs> as a whole yeah. has allowed <laughs> us to live however we want. Like it's insane to think otherwise. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I love, I love how you said live side be so comfortably. <laughs> I'm like, yes, it's so comfortable.
0: But you've <laughs> been know- <laughs> <it> this comfortably. <laughs> but you know what I meant, girl. <laughs> no, actually, no. you're right. It's really not comfortable existence at all. I don't. I don't think I've ever used that word to describe this experience. <laughs>
1: So comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> so freely,
0: I guess, so we're not forced to live it. So, yeah, that's like yeah. part of yeah. what I meant.
2: And, like, I have absolutely found, because, like, a lot of my uh, friends are uh, are gay and/or trans, um, which, uh, yeah, we travel in packs. Shocker. Um, but, um, uh, but, like, I have absolutely found by experience that, like, for every one queer person who has a problem with my faith, like, there are a minimum of 200 Christians who are going to tell me that I can't even be a Christian because I use the word gay.
0: Uh-huh.
2: Uh, like, the gay community is way more accepting of me as a celibate person, or, well, uh, a celibate end quote person, than uh-huh. the church is of me as a fellow believer. Uh, like, it's, it's ridiculous. It, it, and, like, the that's stuff that if I'm going to start ranting, I need to, I need to cool my jets.
1: That's okay.
0: Yes, yeah, so that's not good too, of course, here, because we'll be having a conversation for days. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, <laughs> that's true.
0: Okay. So, I, I'm um, so green
1: bread. Well, I, I do wonder, um, we, we touched on this a little bit, but, um what do you think are the obstacles to side B people discussing HIV in particular yeah. um, or to maybe even to relating to um, the topic at all? I feel like there's weird cross pressures in that like for a lot of Christians we're sort of automatically associated with HIV and AIDS just by virtue of the fact of being gay. Mm -hmm. And, and yet, and there's, there's also so much shame associated with um, being HIV positive as a, a person um, pursuing celibacy. Like what are, what is that? What are all those pressures like? How would you describe them? What are the obstacles? I, I Maybe that's a little unformed of a question, but would you like to discuss some of
2: that with us? No, yeah, 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 I'd have to. Um, I will preface this by saying that in some ways, I kind of feel like I don't know. Because uh, like, the way <laughs> okay. I approach my diagnosis is that it is something like uh, private but not secret, I think is probably the best way mm-hmm. of putting it. Um, cause like, obviously it is very personal. Um, for a while I did treat it as secret. Um, not because, mm. uh, I was worried about, you know, being shamed or anything, uh, like, <laughs> uh, yeah. story for another time. But, uh, after a particular experience in my parish's Facebook group of all ridiculous places, um, I, uh, I'm kind of over the shame thing. Like it's whatever. Um. But, uh, but for a while, um, I was dead set against the idea of my parents finding out. Um, because my parents, uh, like, the way they met was that they both did theater in California in the 70s. (laughs) So, they met some gay people. (laughs) It's a thing that happened. Sure, sure. Um, And, like, they had Mm -hmm. close friends who died of HIV. Uh, Like, uh, you know, I I didn't want to, you know... I I was worried that they would, like, worry themselves to death over this. Um, Eventually, uh, particularly with my sister's support, I decided to uh, go ahead and tell them. Um, But so, for that reason... um, even though I'm a general blabbermouth, especially about myself, um, I haven't really been that public with my diagnosis outside of a fairly small circle. Um, but uh, where I am with it now is, uh, uh, like I said, sort of private but not secret is kind of the vibe. Um, yeah. But so for that reason, like the social aspect of stigma or shame or whatever, um, or like specifically homophobic associations with HIV. um that type of thing it isn't really something that i've experienced um like my whole experience with this disease has been profoundly different from uh what i think uh Mm. most positive peoples has been um i mean like Mm -hmm. i got my diagnosis something like two weeks after i got it um and like within another couple of weeks i was undetectable um which yeah uh, like for, uh, for people who aren't familiar, and, and this is still kind of uh, something that is you know, making its way into the general consciousness, um, but uh, to have an undetectable viral load uh, means that um, you know, like, it basically means that for all practical purposes, you're negative. Uh, like, if I were bi instead of gay, I could yeah. conceive a child and it would be fine. <laughs> like, that's how... That that's how good the yeah. medicine is today. Um, it's still not a cure. Still working on that. Um, but like, it is so far from being the 1980s. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. But um, but so yeah, a, a lot of the uh, a lot of the social aspect um, is just profoundly different for me than it has been for uh, for my my gay forebears, um, and like. I do actually kind of appreciate the feeling of uh, like a little bit more of a connection to the history of the gay community in this country. Um, Mm. But I mean, the connection is a little bit, uh, I don't know, honorary maybe (laughs) Um, because I mean, like all I have (laughs) to do is take my big Tarby every morning and that's it. Uh, Like I am not balancing Mm. stuff like, well, I can take this extremely toxic medicine that my insurance doesn't cover, or I can slowly waste yeah. away in front of everything that I love. Uh, like, it, it is completely different from what it was 40 yeah. years ago or even 20 years ago. Yeah,
0: yeah. Like, it's no longer this, like, death sentence that people are just like, yeah. oh, automatically this happens and bam. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
1: That is something I do wonder about,
0: Gabriel is. Sorry.
1: Sorry. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) 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 No, it's fine. Grant and I are doing a lot of
0: active listening on this episode. It's fine,
1: but I've got a question. (laughs) Um something that I have experienced and I think a lot of Saiby people who desire a a connection to the broader LGBTQ community have experienced is um, a kind of pushback because it it seems to many that we don't have the cred um, to really identify as a part of the broader LGBTQ community. Mm. And um, it strikes me that um, weirdly, and I'm sure that this is offensive to many people, but like this is cred. <laughs> um, yeah. Like this, this makes uh, Uh, a connection more sort of undeniable Um, but how do you like how do you balance thinking about it that way and then also I mean it's not a good thing to like it's it's not a good thing to have it's not like I don't know do we sell do we celebrate like it's it's just complicated It, it feels like you do have a strong connection visceral connection in a in a way that I don't I don't have, but it's also bad. <laughs> you know, like it's like, what do you, how do you. I, I hope I'm not being offensive. I'm no, just,
2: no. I'm trying to understand the dynamics there. Um, I mean, obviously, I can only speak for myself. Uh, or, well, I should only speak for myself. There are plenty of people who. <laughs> anyway. Um, I mean,. I don't devote a lot of headspace to it, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. just because I have the luxury of not needing to. Um, yeah, I am, and I don't know how much of this just comes from my personality and how much of it comes from my theology and what. Um, I am very much a "every mushroom cloud has its silver lining" type of person. <laughs> um, oh my gosh yeah. I can't claim credit, okay. for credit for that one That's Owl City um, the okay. oh, yeah. um But um You know Feeling this or that Or the other way Wouldn't make me not have HIV So I kind of feel comfortable Being like well here right. I am I'm going to yeah. y- You know Take solace in X, or be glad that at least Y. Um, And you know, in that way, you you know, with that, you know, uh, realization, um, it does honestly feel kind of nice to have a uh, a physical connection with uh, with some of the people who have gone before Mm -hmm. me and fought for my right to be recognized as a human being when a lot of the people, (laughs) a lot of the exact people who would yell in my face not to define myself by my sexuality are doing exactly that to me all the time. Um, Yes. Yes. So that's something that I, I don't take from it is the right way of putting it, but we'll settle for that. Um, that, that's something that I kind of take for or bring to it or whatever you want to call it. Um, yeah. And, you know, sometimes I do, uh, worry a little bit. Um, cause like, especially with the, uh, you know, the supply chain issues that we were dealing with over the last couple of years, like that does impress on my mind, you know, well, uh, like. My life is virtually unchanged because I have access to Victarvi. Like, if that were interrupted, Mm -hmm. very different story. Um, For people who don't have that access, whether because, you know, they're homeless or don't have insurance for Mm -hmm. whatever reason, or they live in a place that, uh, uh, like, the medical care is just not adequate, completely different. uh, yeah. like, this yeah. is not just an ongoing pandemic in the sense that people still get and live with HIV it's an ongoing pandemic yeah. in the sense that people still get and die of HIV when there's medicine right yeah. there that they're not getting because it's not yeah. profitable to give it to them
0: oh lord now we've reached it. <clears throat> this part of a conversation where he just said nothing but facts about mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. healthcare system. And, I mean, it's like his own form of oppression. It's like yep. you are struggling with something, dealing with something, and then there's a the medicine or stuff available to help you, and then they decide to punish you for it for profit. It's like I can't, like I really can't even step into that, but everything you yeah. said is 100% correct but um speaking of being correct i've got for pocket um, on the shelf i'll go get it <laughs> <Okay>. no um <laughs> uh, interesting thing i was thinking about um that we've been seeing obviously pop up is like with this monkeypox and how it's being framed in certain spaces or spheres is like the gay disease and Oh, nope, I can't tell that story on air. I was, anyways, but um, how it's being framed is like, okay, this is a gay issue, gay thing. And okay, so there's this tension of like when HIV first came out, it was like just how gay people were treated, the community was treated just due to AIDS is like horrific, 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 horrific beyond. And then there's this tension of a lot of gay people were the ones getting HIV, for example, and not for example, for that. And then with monkeypox right now, obviously anybody can get any disease. There's no one disease that's like, oh my God, it's only going to target said nine people. That's not okay. how diseases work. But um, it can be concentrated in certain communities like monkeypox, for example, seems to be concentrated uh, in a lot of ways in the gay community, the broader gay community. Um, what do you think about that in terms of how uh, queer people are stigmatized for HIV or AIDS, and then now queer people are being stigmatized um, for monkeypox, and this fear that it creates of gay people, or this hostile environment that rather it opens up to gay people, like, oh, well, this is y'all's fault, this is this, or whatever. Um, yeah Sorry, I just rambled, kind of like Grant. I don't know if any of that was cohesive, but... Do you want to talk about any of
2: that? <laughs> so. um, I mean, I'm certainly open to participating in a conversation about it. I don't know how much I have to say about it. Um, mm-hmm. Just because, to me, it's... It's kind of, I guess I'd say, familiar in a really boring way. Like a, There's a wonderful <laughs> phrase in Charles <laughs> Williams' uh, History of Witchcraft. Um... Which uh, covers uh, like going all the way back to the Roman Empire, because um, I mean, like even back then, uh, like you know, there were uh, state authorities, uh, y- you know, who uh, wanted to rein in any appeals to supernatural powers, um, mm-hmm. and you know, obviously the Christian era all the way through the uh, early eighteenth century, there were still uh, executions going on for witchcraft in uh, in North America and Europe. Um, But uh, he talks about the transition from the sort of uh, occasional and occasionally dramatic witch trials of the Middle Ages proper to the actual like witch mania, Um, uh, like Mm -hmm. what we would today identify as the witch hunt in both senses during the Renaissance and the Reformation. Um, And uh, what he says is that, uh, you know. Uh, They had discovered the lesson that it is uh, uh, just as easy and in a general way as profitable to blame someone else rather than to blame oneself for the evil in the world. And then he says, it is always agreeable to hold someone responsible. (laughs) It is. No one's immune to it. The thing that uh, Mm -hmm. identity politics, for example helps to highlight is that when you're talking on the scale of a whole society, it's usually going to be minorities who get that in the shorts. Because yeah. it's always easier to find a scapegoat than it is to uh, like collectively repent as a nation. <laughs> um, both yeah. because we can't actually control what anybody else does, and because most of us, most of the time, don't particularly want to repent of things. Because repentance is embarrassing, and it means not doing fun stuff. The fact that the fun stuff is bad doesn't necessarily make us want to repent of it. That's not how sins work. Sure, sure. Um, And Mm -hmm. You know, almost everybody, I mean, except ace and demi people, I guess, so you guys are excused, Um, almost everybody struggles with sexual (laughs) sin of one kind or another. Which means that when you're dealing with this on a social scale, there's going to be a certain amount of unacknowledged guilt that is just begging to be transferred onto a scapegoat. And if you can find somebody who's, uh, some yeah. group whose sexuality is weird enough that you can vent on it, but not feel guilty for doing so, because it's, it's something you can distance yeah. yourself from, like, that's always yeah. going to be a convenient target. Uh, like, the fact yeah. that it was HIV and <laughs> yeah, was, the fact that it's monkeypox now, uh, like, completely irrelevant. Completely irrelevant. <sighs> Has yeah. nothing to do with why people are scapegoating the gay community. It just doesn't. It's. I think
1: it's also like a tactic to avoid feeling helpless. Yes. Like diseases can seem so senseless. Mm-hmm. So
2: and they kind of so are. So
1: out of the blue, so impossible to manage and so whenever the when when you can find a scapegoat whether it's um another country or a particular demographic or something like that it feels more contained just by just by conceptualizing it as located in a particular place that is not mm-hmm. you um and so it's it there is like a survival feeling like Oh, I have to make it through this, this, this pandemic. I have to make it through this disease. Mm-hmm. I have to blame someone. So the disease is far away from me. Yep. Um, and so for a lot of people, it's like this monkey pox thing, another pandemic already. We can't handle this. Um, the facts are that it's mostly men who have sex with men who are getting it right now. It's them. It's them. Mm-hmm we don't have to worry about it. It's them. And I don't know that dynamic. It it helps me to like have compassion upon people who are thinking this way because it's really them trying to make sense and, and feel Mm -hmm. at peace in the world. But it also is like, that's the mechanism that is hurting us is, is blaming a specific group so that another group can feel safer. I
2: don't
1: know. hundred percent. Gibble.
0: It. i sorry. Okay.
1: Well, it also reminds me there was there's a couple of uh, book length essays by Susan Sontag on disease and metaphor, and how throughout history diseases have been, um, have been connected to certain character traits, um, like um, to tuberculosis is connected to like melancholy and like cancer was connected to like um weak i don't know like a uh, a lack of like liveliness or something like that like moral like character flaws and later on pricing. she connects i'm mean, she's or on that?
2: to being a Yes. <laughs> I actually have exactly. a little bit of, like, 19th century astrological texts. And they, for some reason, really did have it in for Pisces. Apparently, it was just, everyone agreed, <laughs> man, Pisces blows. Anyway.
1: Bit of a tangent there. But later on, she connects, she connects, um, a, it's like, she, she unearths these connections that people make between AIDS and a certain, like, certain character flaws. And I think that's another dynamic at work, is, like, disease is so easily connected in people's minds to certain flaws of character or right, virtue.
2: Right. It's promiscuity, it's recklessness, it's this, it's that, it's the other thing. And, like, I'll freely admit a big part of the reason that I wound up with this disease was that I personally was being reckless. Um, but (laughs) like the idea that that's a good explanation for an entire demographic of people is it's pure moonshine. Um, Lindsay Ellis a few years ago made an excellent video on, uh, rent and why it's bad. (laughs) Um, but uh, one of the okay. things that she uh, highlights just in passing in there is that, like, eh, you know, while the epicenter of the original HIV outbreak was the queer community, uh, like, there were a lot of other risk factors. Uh, like, as she says in so many words, the 1980s were a terrible time to be a hemophiliac, which, like, that's literally a genetic disorder. It has nothing to do with how you behave. Yeah. And like, that's just one example, but yeah, it's, uh, it's illustrative.
0: For sure. For sure.
1: You were going to ask something, Henry.
0: Yeah. I just wanted to ask him a couple more questions, just specifically pertaining to him before you wrapped up. But, um, Gabriel, what would you say are some of the biggest misconceptions about living with HIV that you encounter? Um, and has, what has anything changed in your personal relationships just because of any of those things?
2: Honestly, the biggest misconceptions that I know of were misconceptions that I had before I was diagnosed. Um, yeah, and uh, like, I don't know that I could say that it's affected my relationships much. Um, uh, like, it did definitely give me a uh, a new appreciation for certain of my close friends who were among the first people that I told when I was. You know, first coming to grips with it. Because, oh yeah. man, I tell you what, like, if I knew then what I know now, uh, like, this would have been less scary, but it was still scary and would have been no matter what. Uh, like, sitting alone in that room at the clinic and getting that news from a total stranger. as far as those misconceptions go and I kind of feel like I'm saying this mostly, you know, to the people who listen to this, who maybe wind up with this diagnosis someday. Um, like, like I mentioned earlier, like this is so far from what it was in the 1980s that even things like having biological children is no longer off the table. Like it's just a radically Mm -hmm. different situation. Um, That is not to say that it is, you know, that uh, every case of HIV is created equal by any means. Um, But, like, almost everything about having a normal life, including life expectancy, uh, like, is available Mm. to you as an HIV-positive person in the 2020s. Um, Like, it's just, it's completely different. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah, that, I mean, that leads into, I mean, another, you, you've par- partially yeah. answered it, but when it comes to sharing your experience with other folks who end up with a positive, uh, HIV diagnosis, uh, maybe even specifically site B people with like additional layers of shame there. Um, what is what is the advice you'd have, or what um, what would you say to encourage, um, yeah, encourage them in that in the midst of that mm-hmm. process? Um,
2: I think the thing that I'd say is just to focus on, uh, focus on you know processing and talking to people at your own pace. Um, because if there's anything that has really stood out to me about my experience with this disease, it's how, how incredibly undramatic it's all been. Um, mm-hmm. like basically I was kind of expecting this to be a big deal and it kind of hasn't been. Um, that is not to say that everybody will have that same experience that I have. have that experience. Um, yeah. But yeah, like, just uh, the primary advice that I would give is, uh, like, in this day and age, I think most people, although they probably have some misconceptions about how serious the disease is in practice and probably think that it's a bigger threat to your health than it usually is, um, mm-hmm. mo- uh, like, there aren't very many people, or at least I haven't met uh, any people who are going to shun you because you're paused. Uh, like, yeah, the world doesn't work like that anymore. Like it, people know that it's not, uh, you know, transmissible through coughs or whatever. Um,
0: mm-hmm.
2: So like you both should and can afford to, uh, you know, sort of sit with your feelings and uh, and process them at your own pace. Talk to people when you're ready to, and not rush yourself into anything, um, or feel like you need to delay or conceal. Um, yeah, just take care of uh, take care of your feelings, and do what you need to for mm-hmm. yourself, because most of the other stuff is probably going to be taken care of if you're living in twenty first century America. Or you know, socioeconomic equivalent thereof in other parts of the world.
1: Yes. Yeah.
2: For that matter, you might actually have better health care if you live somewhere other than America.
1: <laughs> We're not better. Uh, if yeah, if any listeners would like to um, invite me to their country with better health care, I would love to join you. I'll uproot my life. Um just kidding. Well, kind <laughs> of. Um, uh, one of the questions that we uh, have been asking a lot of our guests uh, this season um, is sort of related to that um, like uh, that mode of advice, but um, more focused on your younger self. So I feel like this is a very common queer icebreaker question or like queer interview question, but... So imagine your your thirteen year old self your your younger self whatever whatever age but um and meeting them what kind of advice would you share with them, knowing what you know now <laughs> your younger it's typical for queer people, but your younger self is probably terrified about <laughs> 100%. Um, they're very scared of you, but like <laughs> What what would you say to your younger self?
2: So I feel a little bit goofy saying this. Um, but I'm going to go ahead and say it anyway. <laughs> yeah, just in case it's useful. Because I feel like it might be for some people. Honestly, I don't think I would tell my younger self anything. Because
1: hmm.
2: he wouldn't listen. <laughs> I know me. But like, <laughs> well, no, I, 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 I do. I know me. From <laughs> my uh my dad and I uh used to watch and re watch Alice in Wonderland all the time when I was younger. Um uh, like it, it's it's an underrated classic of uh of sort of uh that golden age period of Disney. Um you know, like just beautiful animation and just wonderfully handled. But like From the time when I was a little kid, Alice's song I give myself very good advice, but I very seldom follow it. Like, <laughs> even when I was little, it wasn't just that I liked the song, it was that I had a sense of recognition, like, oh, that's maybe yeah. a theme, isn't it? Like, not in the movie, but in my <laughs> oh, life. Oh <laughs> no.
1: Is this foreshadowing I was
2: right. <laughs> The foreshadowing fairy yeah. came early. Um, and you know how I feel about fairies. Yeah. Um But, so, yeah, I I honestly probably wouldn't tell my younger self anything. Like, I really think I would just give him a hug, sit with him for a while. Like, that's what he needed.
0: Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That reminds me of... I think I've said it probably a couple times throughout this season that it's like this quote. And I think we probably all heard variations of it, but like, be the person you needed when you were mm-hmm. younger. It's like, you needed someone to give you a hug. So mm-hmm. there you go. Yeah. I, I
1: I do wonder how your younger self would react to you hugging them. Um.
2: <laughs> I think he'd actually be okay with it. Like,
0: oh. it was. Uh... <laughs>
2: it was one of the few deep emotional needs that i wasn't terrified of for whatever reason i think just because it was such a ravenous need that <laughs> that i couldn't yeah. waste time being terrified of it terrified of it yeah
0: yeah yeah that makes sense yeah
1: 13 is uh, a rough year well, yeah i think 13 was a rough year would not relive no
0: yeah actually i probably would not relive any year of my life but not (laughs) even knowing what i know now
1: you have been through a lot girl yeah (laughs) yes gabriel it has been such a joy chatting with you you. um so glad to be here and thank you so much for yeah thank you so much for being so open for sure about a subject where I, i'm sure there's i mean lots of baggage that you've waded through and so thank you for sharing the fruits <laughs> the fruits of your reflection and your struggle yeah with it us. is like I'm, we're we're very thankful Get it. yeah because it's like
2: fruits of the spirit but then also fruits of research metaphorically yeah
1: And We're Fruits. It's multi-layered. Wait, how are we Fruits? I don't
2: follow. You don't follow? (laughs) Oh my
0: gosh. But I'm hoping that was... Anyway! (laughs) (laughs) I, I, I have to say, this is easily one of the most chaotic episodes I've been a part of. Yeah, um, it ha-
1: to- it has been pretty chaotic. I really do think I'm that tuts. sometimes chaos is a gift that we bring to our audience. I
0: think so too, because like we gotta yeah. shake things up for them a little bit. I would right? not have
2: dared to dream. That We're real of all people. people would be yes, exactly. Chaotic. I am so flattered.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, we'll send you a plaque in the mail. Well, okay. hang <laughs> it in the oh my god, you know Most we should talk chaotic.
0: Grant, we should have giving out awards to like people we <laughs> interview at the end of a season. Can you imagine? Oh my,
1: gosh. oh my god! Most chaotic goes. Oh my god, okay.
0: We're having a live on Cy B Awards at Revoice. Oh my god, we're <laughs> doing this. I swear. <laughs> oh
1: god. I'm in favor. Um, well, perfect.
2: I realize I have a vested interest, goodness. but I'm still in favor.
0: Okay.
1: <laughs> oh my so, goodness. Well, thanks once again.
0: Thank you. Yes, thank you. Until next time.